Hello, fans and loyal listeners of the Wide Angle Podium. It's Rob, a little pre-roll action here, so you know there's something going on. I just wanted to give you guys all a heads up that we are actually going to move back to an old format of the show where we release one episode every two weeks. It's bi-weekly, but bi-weekly could be two times a week or once every two weeks, so just going to be clear. Every other week, we're going to try to release a new show that will help me manage the quality of these shows and make sure that I can give you guys the best possible audio with each episode. And also we can continue to work with really great guests. Also a little spoiler or little heads up here. Monk's microphone fails at some point in time. So he he actually just got up and walked away for a few minutes. It was really shocking. But when he came back, he had a new microphone and it worked differently than the mic that he had beforehand. So you'll notice a change in the audio quality. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's just that his microphone failed. In the future, I'm just going to give all these guys a microphone so that they've got the best audio equipment possible and not rely on, you know, Zach Gregg, technical forces for Ricky Arnopel or all the wonderful things that Ethan does to get ready or Monk and, you know, just make sure that the quality is high. So let's get into the show. bit of an oversimplification here, but if you look at historic or ancient civilizations, all of the cradles of supposed civilization, they each have like an epic poem that comes with them, sort of an origin story or an explanation for who they are and why they've come to be. You look at like the Iliad or maybe even the Odyssey for Greek mythology or Greek tradition, the Aeneid, which is my personal favorite for the Romans, the Epic of Gilgamesh for the Babylonians or what is supposedly like the most epic of epics is from the uh, the Hindi tradition, the Mahabharata. It's basically like Stephen King's The Stand on crack. It's just like an epic of epic about the struggle for good and bad and evil, the war against all of all of it. It's just... It's it's something that I think needs to be like a six part trilogy plus something that, you know, rivals the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And please don't get me started on J.R. Tolkien. And if that is part of an epic tradition, unless, of course, you are a troll or an orc or an elf from Rivendell, it's probably not the same. But if you want, if you want to look at the English tradition, maybe look at something like Beowulf or the Arthurian legends. Those are really great epics that were sort of oral histories that became much more than they are or were at the point in time. So why talk about all of these epics? Why talk about them at all? This is the epic of Monk, of Brandon Fury. He has, in his own right, a story that is not about his origin or about his path. It's about just him. The point of this episode is not to to go soup to nuts on everything about Monk and that what makes him who he happens to be. He explains that in great detail in this episode, but it's done through the artifice of, tell us about your racing. Tell us about how you have approached this season. Tell us about the things that motivate you. 
And through that, we learn about who this person is. One of the best, and I will underscore this, best bike racers in the United States right now. He has been a phenomenal bike racer for years, but this year he's really come into his own and he's doing it a hard way. He's doing it through sacrifice and through struggle and through just like, it it almost is like sleepless nights. This episode had to be rescheduled or this interview had to be rescheduled several times because the dude had to continue to work and work and work and work in his real job. And I didn't want to it get in his way with his bike racing either, so I tried to separate that out. Let him get rest after Boise. Let him get rest after Littleton, after Salt Lake City. And so it all just kind of came to a head here with this week's episode, with the epic of Monk. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, the nation's only, the world in fact, only top-tier collection of independent cycling media, WideAnglePodium.com. Go there, find out about the full bevy of shows that we have. They cover everything from cyclocross and mountain biking all the way to comedy and or Zwift racing. It is the best place for you to get your full wide swath of information. Please go to the website, wideanglepodium.com and consider becoming a supporter or subscriber to that network. We would really appreciate it if you do. We are brought to you this week by our friends at Source Endurance, the internet and in fact, America's premier location for endurance athletic coaching. Source-e.net is their website. Go there, find out about who they are and what types of services they are offering. When you get there, you're gonna learn that they offer the full deal. Everything that you need to make yourself a better endurance athlete, whether it's coaching, practical advice, nutrition advice, In certain cases, spiritual advice. I get a lot of that from Zach Allison, my coach at Source Endurance. Go to source-e.net and find out what you want. And when you find it, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, all one word, for $50 off your first month of coaching. So let's set the stage here. We'll use the Aeneid, my personal favorite epic of all of them, as the framework for this. So the Aeneid starts with a classic scene of Aeneas, the future founder of the Roman Empire, aboard a ship awash adrift at sea with dangerous and scary skies in front of him. He's reluctant. He's a hero. He just doesn't know it yet. And that's exactly who Monk is, the reluctant hero that we all need. So, Monk, this is your sole effort. I'm not sure what I want to call it yet. I've been toying with the idea of the monk episode, or Monk Uncut or Brandon Unchained. There's a lot of different titles that I had for this. But like as I was walking back from my dentist appointment earlier today, and clearly Novocaine was like 
coursing through the veins. So like I've got all sorts of great ideas that are partially hallucinations. So here it is. We are doing an epic poem. This is this is the Iliad or Odyssey or the Aeneid. This is like old school antiquities here. We're going arma virumque canos qui primus ab oris. I sing of a man of war who first from the shores of Troy. And with all epic poems, we have to start with the protagonist in in challenge, in trouble. Like the growth of the man or the woman, whoever is the topic of the conversation has to be dramatic and it has to be bold. So this is your epic poem. This is your epic story. So we start first at Rochester. We got to dial it all the way back to May where the thunder God himself precluded you from racing. Seven laps in, epic thunderstorm, lightning, the opportunity for you to unseat Alfredo Rodriguez because he and best buddies were not there. You and Project Echelon were there. That opportunity was ripped away from you. And then flash forward a month later, a month of frustration later, we start our story here. The first corner of the final lap of Nationals in Knoxville at the crit, you are in a bush. You are not on your bike anymore. You are in a bush. The helmet comes off. There is anger. There is frustration. Tell us about what happens to put you there, and then we will build this story all the way to you being now the green jersey current wearer from the American Crit Cup and also the overall leader in the red jersey. So Knoxville, start us there. Starting in Knoxville, obviously that is where I live now. Having the hometown crowds, I had family members, I had co-workers, buddies, friends, friends of friends at the race. So that whole week leading up to the race, I was just getting text messages um, random people that come into the YMCA where I work uh, were coming up and saying, oh, I heard you're in the bike race this weekend, like good luck. And I had all my homeschool PE kids cheering on, putting little signs together that they gave me. So leading up to that race, I was just pretty much on cloud nine. Like my stoke level was so high. I, I love getting dressed and ready at home and going to the race. And we we had a very strong team there. Uh, with myself, Hugo, John, everyone that was there was ready to rip some legs off pretty much. Uh, we were there to put on a show and whether that show was sitting in um, and following some moves, driving some moves, making sure we were in every move possible and with multiple riders so we can possibly finish um, in the best position we could. And throughout that race, like my legs felt a little heavy starting, but Every lap, lap after lap, they just started loosening up. The crowds got louder as as more beer was flowing and everything. Like the adrenaline just just got even better. So I was in great position going into the last lap um, with Hugo right in front of me, and unfortunately there was a, a mishap where Wildlife and Legion kind of bumped right into the corner. Ty went to take the corner again. I was right on Ty's hip. They, they bumped again and Ty got veered off his line. So he bumped into me and I just had nowhere to go running into the curb. 
I tried to save it. I tried to unclip. And as soon as I unclipped, the, the weight of the bike shifted and uh, knocked me into the curb and just took a tumble into the bush and was almost hanging upside down in the bush. And man, that was such a bummer, frustrations. Honestly, all the emotions came into my mind during that moment. Um, I had people coming up to me while I was still upside down. And I was just like, please, like, I'm not trying to be rude. Just leave me alone. And I took off my helmet, threw my helmet down in frustration. And it took a little bit of time, probably two, three minutes to clear my head and just got back up on the bike. Heard Hugo did super well and was just stoked on that and him finishing great and pretty much had had to get over it right then and there. How long did it take for you to make the decision that that experience at Procrit Championships was not going to phase you and you were going to, even if you had to do it yourself, get to Boise for redemption? Honestly, it, it left my mind probably around... 3.30 a.m. Um, I could not fall asleep. The adrenaline was still going. That is an oddly specific time of day. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, I just remember it so vividly. Like, I couldn't sleep. Um, I was laying in bed just just replaying the crash over and over again. What could I have done better? Where, where, where else could I have, like, positioned myself? But honestly, like, I felt like no matter what situation I was in, I was still going to be putting myself right on Ty's wheel for, for that last lap. So no matter what I did in the race or try to replay it in my mind, nothing was going to change. Um, I still wouldn't change where my position was. Uh, unfortunately, it was a, a b- bad corner by probably the three of us. And whether I should have been slotted a little further back or uh, the bumping should have never happened, but you're always kind of bumping, fighting for a position, especially on the last lap. Nothing was intentional by any of the riders. So it was clean, hard racing. And I just had to clear that out of my mind. And right, right about 3.30, I was like, I need to go to sleep. Like, we got we got a long rest of the weekend for us, uh, get, helping the guys get ready for the road race. And pretty much right around 3.30, 4 a.m., I was like, all right, bedtime, the race is over. Nothing's going to change. And I have to just use this fuel uh, for the next race. One thing that I've noticed watching you race, especially this year, is, and this is not meant to, this is a use of a word that's not the right word, but I think it's the best word that describes it. You seem to thrive in messy sprints. There are guys out there who who need the lead out train to function completely perfectly all five guys prior to them need to go one two three four five each pool needs to be the perfect length at the right speed you have come out of corners in dark places in the pack and just emerged at the exact moment and i've seen it happen a lot with the points sprints more than necessarily at the end of races but even if you look at the way that you you know you you raced at any part of Tulsa or any of the races that have come since then, like you have this knack of not needing other guys, but finding a way to take advantages of your own. Is that kind of your theory on bike racing? Yeah, I I think honestly it comes from how I grew up. 
um, growing up playing hockey, being argy bargy, always, um, I was the little one, always fighting in the corners. I didn't care the, the size of the other players that I was playing against. Um, I was willing to kind of use my call it skills or whatever it is to get into the corners and battle and try to come out with a puck. Um, I feel like racing the same way, racing against probably one of the biggest crit racing teams, UHC. Um, they came out every race. They were very put together team, whether it, it was the road races or the crits and racing against them. You had to find a position where you could pretty much try to battle against them with. And that was always behind them. Um, there was six, seven, eight teams battling at the front race after race, um, trying to fit in these little gaps. I think that's how I learned to race just growing up in that era where you needed to use little tactics like that. Um, there weren't other strong teams out there like there are now. Like you have Legion, one of the best lead out teams, and now you have best buddies and you have wildlife and you have all these other teams that have riders that could sit in the front for a couple laps and throw out the sickest lead out. I never had that kind of race after race. So this, this year is a little different. We've, we've had a great squad where um, riders are selling out for, for each other. And, but like, it's just kind of, I guess how, how I grew up through racing. Can we make this admission right now? It's hard, but like the way that I think about it and the more I get to know the team, you guys are the most reluctant elite crit racing team in the country. Like it is so hard to get somebody from Project Echelon to admit that you guys are not underdogs, that you show up at these races and you've got, especially this year, solid team tactics. You've got solid efforts. You've got solid results. I mean, Intelligentsia, your results are, you know, between you and Ethan and John, like it's, it's, you know, podium after podium after podium. But for some odd reason, you guys won't admit to yourselves that you are elite. Am, am I wrong here? Or are you guys just like, have some <laughs> self-confidence, just go ahead and admit it. You're good at bike racing. I, I I think it comes from giving us a little more fuel and whether we don't get the recognition and things like that. And I think that gives us a little more fuel to even call ourselves the underdog. Like I, I still think we are the underdogs. And year after year, I've been with this team for four years now. And year after year, they've taken huge steps to get to where we are now. And um, we've really just... Honestly, we we are still the underdogs. We still have a lot to learn, a lot to grow. And this year we've grown so much and I am so excited to keep on growing and try to take that name away from us. But yeah, I, I, honestly, I still believe we are an underdog. When I talked to Ethan for the last episode, you know, we talked about the Batman and Robin situation and how maybe... Monk and Ethan are not Batman and Robin so much as they are Batman and Batman, you know, like he is not your sidekick anymore. Nope. Like at the beginning of the year, the 20 year old from New Zealand, a lot of growing up that needed to be done. He's done the growing up. You two have become dynamic. And then when you throw in John Heinlein or Peter Olenicek or Hugo, 
it, it, the, the dynamicism becomes even better. But focus on Ethan for a few minutes and the way that he has helped you get to where you are right now as the overall leader for the American Crit Cup. Ethan, coming into the season, I was beyond stoked to have him on the team. He brings just a young, energetic, like smart, savvy rider like I was a couple of years ago. Um, he, he has such a powerful sprint. He, he is another one who is learning. He's still super young. And I was so stoked to have him on the team. <laughs> Getting choked up. No. No, I was so stoked to have him on the team just because I knew how good of a racer he was and could be in the future. Honestly, he if he didn't break his wrist early on in the season, he our roles would be completely switched. Um, he he probably would be in their red jersey and green jersey um, right now if if he didn't break his wrist in the early season racings. Uh, so he he missed a lot of training time and racing time those first early season races to have him part of the team and i would never call him or us batman or robin i would say if anything i'm robin but i'm still i'm i'm robin trying to teach batman how to be batman is kind of where where i wanted to see myself this year and i think like he he, he's developed um, into his own own riding style and just going to be great Let's talk about the way that you two rode at Boise because you ended up getting involved in a hockey match that was uh, billed as a crit. I mean, you walked away with a cut under your eye like like the old days in hockey. You know, Boise was a was a battle. And did that kind of set you just thinking about what you're doing and doing it in a slightly different way. Yeah. So at that race, honestly, all the, all the races this year have been, I don't want to use the word sketchy, but that's the only thing that can come to mind right now. But um, there has been a lot of maybe just unnecessary crashes, riders maybe not paying attention or um, trying to fit in gaps that aren't even there or shouldn't even be be there and they're trying to fit in there and um, that has caused a lot of crashes this year and unfortunately taken out some some other riders as well as myself um, unfortunately Alfredo's out due to a broken collarbone in one of those crashes it's just been hard to see but I mean it's racing like you're, you're gonna have crashes and unfortunately you're gonna have some broken bones that come out of it but uh, at that race yeah unfortunately I, I got caught up in a crash and landed on my face and got a, got a nice little shiner just like you have right now. <laughs> Total team concept here. I've gone, I've gone full method on my reporting on project echelon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, no, it, it, we, we had to change things up a little bit and I, I didn't have my 11 or 12, um, just cause my derailleur was bent. They tried to bend it back as much as possible. And unfortunately, like, I the adrenaline maybe helped me go a little further than I would have um, in that race or whatever. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you could replay the race again um, and without the crash and see what happens, and you just never know. But um, we 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 really we really worked well together that race, and he I think that was uh, 
really kind of a stepping stone for him and myself to be like, all right, we we have a great pairing here. Like, what can we do in the future with this? And the future was Salt Lake, which was, and I want to get this right because like I'm looking at the calendar and I want people to appreciate what you have done because you are probably one of the hardest working bike racers in the crit peloton because salt lake well let's start with boise was on july 10th you you know you go to boise you wake up at like 6 a.m the day after boise to fly back home to knoxville you get back home to knoxville you get back into working and then salt lake city is july 16th you got to fly from knoxville to salt lake city then you get back home from salt lake city you spend a few days in Knoxville before you drive up to Intelligentsia, and then you spend all 10 days in Chicago, away from you know your wife, away from your dog, away from the family, and then get back home in time to work extra hours at the job that pays the bills before you have to get back onto a plane and go to Littleton, Colorado to defend your lead in the competition. How many nights let's say in the last 30 days, do you think you've actually slept in your own bed where you didn't have to wake up ridiculously early to get on a flight? (laughs) Out of those 30 days, I'd say probably 12. How, and (laughs) keep in mind, you have a full-time job and it is not as a bike racer. You know, you have a full-time job and then some, and it's not as a bike racer. How is that, impacting you i mean how hard has that emotionally and physically been for you to chase this passion that you have for bike racing i think that's what keeps me going is bike racing if if i don't have bike racing i honestly i don't know what i would be doing i'd probably honestly i'd probably be doing drugs or something i i need that i need the adrenaline rush i need the constantly moving in doing something. So I I think that's what like really drives me to work hard at home, to enjoy the time I have with my wife at home, with a dog, spending with friends, family, everything like that. I I try to enjoy every moment with with those people. And I think that's what helps helps make it a little easier, I guess, to travel as much and do the grind. Unfortunately, like I don't have that opportunity to fly a day or two early or even drive a day or two early to these races so I can relax. Like intelligence, I drove, I, I had to work in the morning. I worked from 6.30 to 9.30 and then drove pretty much straight to the race. Uh, I got stuck into traffic. I uh, got there an hour and 15 minutes before the race and raced the first day of Intelli um, on some tired legs just from driving. But that, I think that's that's what like gives me the drive to just keep going. And I love the sport. The sport has been great to me. I've had great, great opportunities to meet great people. I've made some of my best friends out of the sport. And it's just uh, another avenue for me to live and enjoy life. Let's talk about one of your competitors, because I've noticed over the course of this year that if there's one person in the Peloton that you are having more fun with than Clever Martinez. I don't know who that is. The two of you are like Abbott and Costello on the start line and and on the finishing line and on the podium. 
is that that type of relationship something that drives you back to this sport? A hundred percent. I love the energy that 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 kid gives out. He's just a um, just like his hair, a ball full of fun. <laughs> Every moment, he's smiling. He's enjoying life. He's he's laughing. He's having fun with his teammates. He's having fun with the crowd. He's having fun with everyone, and that just gives me that extra energy. To I am a very introverted type person. Uh, but when I get around him, it's just like something comes out of me and I'm like, all right, I want to amp my energy up even more and, and get to his level. And even, I'll never reach his level, but we, we have so much fun together. It's been great to race with Clever and he's such an outstanding guy on the bike and off the bike as well. OK, so like any um, awesome mixtape from the late 90s, the early 90s, you can't just keep going in a crescendo up. You've got to dial it back a second. You've got to you got to find the ballad. You know, this is like like white snake here or maybe poison. Like you got to narrow that that focus down and calm everybody down. So, you know, we have to deal with Salt Lake City. You were right there on the ice, basically on the glass for everything that went down at Salt Lake City post race, which is the exact opposite of what we've been talking about with smiles and laughs. You know, I asked Ethan this same question. Could you really believe your eyes when you saw everything unfolding in front of you with the post-race shenanigans between the uh, best buddies and Legion? Honestly, I could not believe anything that was going on. I've seen arguments after races like that happens, and uh, we try to keep it as calm as possible. but. Um, there was a line that was crossed, unfortunately, and we, I, I thought I was at a hockey, hockey game. Like I was like, all right, hockey mode, clench the fist, like, let's go. And then I, j- I was like, I was looking around and like all these fans, they're screaming. They're like, what's going on? And I, I had to take a step back and be like, Ethan, John, like, let's get out of this. This isn't. This, this shouldn't be happening right now. This isn't cycling. We're not, we are not at a hockey game. Let's step back. We should not get involved at all. Even if it's trying to hold someone else back, we, sh- we shouldn't get involved because who knows what would have happened if we accidentally got hit or whatnot. Like then do we get involved? And, um, it was just a better situation for us to step away. And I did like you can go back in the videos and you can clearly see you grabbing Ethan and and not like physically pulling him, but like strongly suggesting to him to back away. And like Ethan, God bless him. He's only 20 years old. I, I can't imagine that he's seen. I mean, yeah, he watches rugby, but I can't imagine that he's physically been present for for fights like that. What was the discussion among you, John, Ethan, like after the race as far as like wow, this is something that's going to have some repercussions. Yeah, we were talking like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to racing? Is the ACC events going to be canceled for the rest of the year? What is going to happen from this situation? Like, honestly, there's never been a situation like this that I've been involved with. So I didn't know, we didn't have the answers. And the only answers we, I could say, and when we were talking about this is, 
hey, like we need to stay out of all the drama. We don't need to be posting anything. We don't need to be choosing sides. We need to let it fan out how it's going to fan out. And we, we, need, we need to just stay out of it because um, it should have never gone to that situation. But you guys were able to take whatever emotion and energy you had from the first night of Salt Lake City, which given the way that it ended for you, I have to imagine was probably disappointment and channel that into Ethan's first win with the team the very next day. How did you guys collectively manufacture the positive energy that was necessary to go, okay, whatever happened last night, we got jobs to do today. Let's get this done. Yeah, I, I think it honestly it started right after the race. Um, we all decided, hey, let's go grab a beer, let's decompress, and let's focus on tomorrow. Uh, so that's what we did. We we all we went to a friend's house and we we just had a couple beers and really just kind of changed our mindset to all right, tomorrow we have another job to do. Ethan Honestly, he wasn't necessarily feeling the greatest the whole race. I was like, how are you feeling? We're like, we're, you're going to get the win today. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling terrible. Like, I don't know. Like, I have shit legs. I, I'm not doing good today. And I was like, nope, don't worry. You're good. Like, just stay under control. Breathe. You eat and you drink in. Like, just, just trying to make sure, like, he has that confidence in himself. And probably, I think it was... Right when the the rain and the the thunderstorm came rolling in, I was like, "All right, it's I'm sure they're going to shorten the race, um, so let's get to the front." And we got to the front, and he's like, "All right, I'm ready to go." Uh, so that at that time, Miami Blazers was they were leading it out, and we we decided to leave it late. And unfortunately, David was on the front. It was myself, Ethan, and then John. And when David swung off. I was sitting on the front just for maybe 150, 200 meters. And when Blazers kind of came, came next to us, they kind of pushed us on, on the gutter. They were both, we were both trying to stay out of the wind. And unfortunately I hit a pothole and flatted and that made Ethan move back a couple spots, but that was a perfect opportunity where he could slot in and race his own race. Um, he's another one of those riders that isn't afraid to to get into those situations where it is a little bumpy and come out on top. And that's what he did. He he kind of weasels his way where where he needed to be on the final descent, and he just smashed that finish. Like I I threw my bike down. Um, I um, Evan was right next to me. I gave Evan a big hug. I just like emotions from the night before. I, th I think filled me and I was just completely stoked to see him uh, get that win. You can see the fire in his eyes after that win. Like he's like, I'm back, baby. <laughs> and he's turned it on. Yeah. I mean, he won at Mundelein. He finished on the podium at Lake Allen for a first year, big time domestic elite team racing bike racer. Ethan is having a phenomenal year. Yeah, he, he is. He is turning it up to another level that I didn't think he would be able to. But Joe Carpasassi will say that he knew it all along. That's why he let the kids stay in his bedroom downstairs. So, <laughs> Of course. <laughs> so this is the point in the epic poem where the hero goes home. You know, you always got to go and check out your roots. You checked out your roots 
at Intelligentsia, or as my coach, Zach Allison, calls it, Intelligentsia. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the right pronunciation or not, but I'm going to, I like it. But you go home and it is a litany of top tens with one marked exception with Goose Island at the end. You were the defending champion from the year before, the defending overall champ. Was there pressure for you to come back and repeat? Pressure I put on myself, no. I came into the race where we, we had a couple different cards to play, whether it was myself, Ethan, or some of the other guys. And we, we just weren't sure. We were going to start day one, see how everyone was feeling. Ethan and I both got into the mix and we, we decided, hey, we have two guys that we could possibly go for the win for. And a couple of races later, I really wanted Ethan to get those wins. He he has been working his ass off all season long. And I, I was telling him right before one of the races, like, I don't care how I finish, like, this day's for you. And he, he got his first win at, at the Intelligentsia Cup. And that that just made made me want to race even harder myself. We we did what we could in those races. We were racing up against some some of the bigger and stronger strong riders, and yeah, it was it was so fun to just be back at home as well, back in Chicago, spending some time with family. Like I was bouncing around from house to house, um, spending a night with my grandma, spending a night with my cousin, and niece and nephews and all the family emotions and having fun and enjoying the time with them made bike racing even better for them to come out and support me as well. So it was, it was just a great experience. You're one of those guys who does not get to the race early, which kind of drives me nuts. It makes me stress out. Like you, you get to the race like an hour and 15 minutes or so before the race. And like, I think you kid up on the start line. I swear to God, I get there two hours beforehand. You know, I build in time to have food and build in time to, you know, talk with people and just be me. And like, you never seem to get, you know, ruffled. How do you approach getting to one of these races? Yeah. So like you said, I like to get there about about an hour and 15 minutes early. Um, that is <laughs> max that I like to get there, uh, that early, but, um, whether we have team duties or anything like that, I'm happy to get there earlier, but that's kind of my, like my time. Like I like to get there an hour and 15 minutes. We have our team meetings and then, um, usually during team meetings, everyone's kitted up, ready to go. And I'm still in normal clothes, still kind of noodling around probably about half hour before the race is about to start is where I start opening my bag, making sure I got my helmet, shoes, everything, and then make sure my number's pinned and pin the number on about 20 minutes or sorry, put the kit on about 20 minutes before the race, um, go noodle around a little bit and then roll to the start line. So it's, it's just something that I've always done. Um, Growing up racing as a junior, we would get to the race. Races usually started at 7 a.m. So we didn't want to get up super early just because we wouldn't, or I knew we would be at the races all day with my dad racing later on in the day. Um, we would usually double up, do the junior race in the morning and then do the cat two, cat three, cat four races um, later on. So 
we didn't try to get there super early. So we would always roll, rock up 45 minutes, half hour before the race, get our kid on, roll to the start line. So I think that's just um, a way to keep me calm. Um, I never tried to rush or anything like that. And when, when I see other people rushing 45 minutes an hour for the race, I'm like, it's okay. You have time. Like, yes, you can, you can still get a couple efforts in and everything you need to do. But yeah, it's, it's just a, I, I guess a way to keep me calm before the race and not overthink things. How do you approach a race series like Intelligentsia where it's 10 days of racing and there are multiple competitions, which you could be a part of, you know, with Intelligentsia, there was, you know, each individual day was a race. And then there was the overall competition. And then there was the DuPage County triple header for the three races that were in DuPage. When you go to an event like this, are you thinking, I need to win every day? Or are you thinking like, no, I'm playing the long game here for the overall. So I need to accrue points every single day. Like, how did you approach this specific one? Yeah, a series like this, you have to take it day day to day. You you got to gauge your effort from the day before. Like if you were in the breakaway or you were able to save a little bit of energy, maybe use that energy you saved from the race before and put that into trying to go with the moves. Uh, that's how I see it. Like first day, I'm always like fully into it. I'm always trying to follow moves. I'm always trying to put myself in the per- perfect position to win. And then after day one, it's always gauging efforts. Um, you see guys who try to do too much early on in the series kind of fade towards the end. I think that's just something I've learned from doing the series, um, starting with Super Week back in the day where every race was either 90 minutes or 100K crits. Um, when I was 17 and 18, my last two years of a junior, I was racing those races. And that puts a lot of toll on your body. And um, I kind of developed this this style where you have to gauge your efforts. You got to make sure you don't go too far in the red um, day after day so you can survive and still do well the next day. So, yeah, it's, it is a lot of, all right, maybe if I take today a little easier and I don't go for the breakaway, maybe I, I risk a little bit, but maybe I am able to save enough energy to get fifth place today and possibly contest the win tomorrow. I was looking up my own results to see if we were in those races at Super Week to see if we were together because uh, like there was a time period right around like 2010 or 2011 where they had the one, two, threes. Oh, yeah. And no, it was just one, two. Like they um, the I think it was because I was a three when I was 17 and then I think I did the one, two, threes. I think. Yeah, there was a once to a series part of the series. It must have been like 2010 or something like that. It was my first introduction to Rainbow Cone because it was okay. a race at Beverly. Yeah. Which is regrettably not a part of the series anymore. But like that was a that was a rude introduction to uh, bike racing uh, at <laughs> that level. Yeah. You walk away in, from the series with uh, second place and Ethan was in third. Clever does what Clever does. He he had the yellow jersey. At what point in time during the course of accruing these points was it obvious to you that you weren't going to catch Clever? I don't think there was ever that that thought that we couldn't catch him. 
we kind of changed dynamics um, after the first couple races, and we were really trying to get Ethan to move up in the series and also try to get a couple wins um, under our belt. So we, we changed our tactics up a little bit, and it, it might have changed things up a little more if maybe we rode just for myself, but um, we, we had a bigger team goal on trying to get some wins. Um, for some of the other riders and try to get some of the other riders um, up and into the competition as well. So, and for my focus to maybe save a little more energy and focus on the ACC event on Saturday. So Lake Bluff does count for the ACC. I think that's an awesome course to have as part of the ACC because it's, it has enough technical aspects of it and it's just different compared to Boise or compared to Salt Lake City, like it's a different type of course. So I was super excited to have that as part of it. You made a conscious decision before Lake Bluff. So I want to talk about with Salt Lake City, you made the decision that you were not going to wear the leader's jersey for the red, so for the overall, despite the fact that Alfredo was not going to be there and he was not coming back. I mean, we all knew by that point in time, that he had broken his collarbone and, you know, it was going to be some time off. So you technically would have had the right to wear it because you would have been the leader, but you chose not to. Why did you make that decision? He, he was still the leader and I didn't want to take that away from him. He, he still should have been in those races and racing in that leader's jersey. So um, I wanted to still honor him as if he was still out there um, racing with us and, um, just due to that unfortunate event, he wasn't. But I still wanted to honor him and the Best Buddies team for still being the leader. With Lake Bluff and more so with Littleton, we're now at this point in time in the season in this competition where there are clearly people who are not going to win anymore. When you are at Tulsa or you're at Sunny King, you know, there is that's new. Everything is fresh. You know, everybody has the potential to win, but eventually it becomes clear through the course of the of the competition that people don't have the capacity to win anymore. Just math is math and it's hard. How many people do you think are still competing against you now for the overall in that competition? I, I think there's a couple. And but I think like the what what people are trying to do is those who um, maybe are sitting top ten are trying to just move up as much as possible. Um, and I think realistically, clever might be the only one who is competing to try to get the the win in the ACC. But all the other riders are either trying to move up or get themselves or a team win in one of those series races. How do you think that changes the motivation with Littleton or with Momentum Indy or with Gateway coming up? You know, like, does that make you want to try harder or does it, does it, you're a bike racer, you just want to race? The last, last week I've been kind of thinking like, all right, what am I going to do these last couple of races? And I got a new fire that just got lit under my butt, like. I want to use these next two weekends off to kind of rest my body and have that final jolt of energy to 
possibly get a couple wins to finish the, the series off as strong as possible. Like I, I don't I don't want to look back and say, oh, um, what could I have done it? And I just want to look back and be like, yes, I did it. The, you know, the ultimate critique is you're the guy who won because you showed up, not because you were the guy who raced the best while you were there. You know, you you have done well in these races, but you haven't won one of those races yet. If you get the red jersey and you are the overall winner and you you get the money, the prize money that you're entitled to, do you feel like it's still legitimate if you don't put yourself on the podium in one of those races? I I do not like um that's why I want to go into these last couple of races and get give everything I can to get one of those wins under the belt. So how do you do it? Clearly Littleton's done and dusted. You can't win a race that's already over that you didn't win. And Legion did an incredible job in some pretty hard conditions. We're going to come back to Littleton to talk about the way that that race started in a second. But, you know, you look at, you know, Indy Crit, you look at the Hill. These are two races that are probably pretty good for you. What do you need to do in order to set yourself up so that when we talk next time, you're like, I told you so. It, it, it started yesterday with rest, getting a little rest, recovering the body from the crash a couple weeks ago and, or a, a week ago now. And after this rest, just using that, that energy that I got back to start with some, some high intensity type work, some, some tempo work to, to kind of add a little bit to the fitness to finish these races out. And going into these races, we have a great squad um, coming to Indy. So I'm like, honestly, this whole season, we haven't had a full team at any of the ACC races. So super excited to have a full team there and kind of focus on just one goal. Who's going to be with you at Indy and Gateway? Is it going to be Ethan and John and Peter or who? Yeah, so we're um, we're going to have Ethan, John, Peter, Hugo is coming back, possibly Eric at Indy. So yeah, we'll we'll have a strong squad overall and that could really really compete with anyone out there. So let's talk here in conclusion about Littleton. You start a race at altitude in the dark and also with it really raining hard. You've got to think of all the things that can possibly go wrong under those circumstances. And you used the little known skill of racing from the front to your advantage there in those first couple of laps. What was the thought process going in there? Yeah, going going into Littleton, um, I knew the body wasn't at 100%, but I knew John and Ethan, they were going to do everything that they could to make sure I stayed up there, stayed in the race, uh, got got as many points as possible. Starting at the front was huge. Um, at that race, you, you always want to start at the front, but with the rain, with the rain hitting, and it, it is a very slippery course. Uh, turn two, you go into like a little bumpy gutter um, that you have to come out of and recorrect your corner um, so you can take the corner as best as possible. So um, there's, there's no real smooth lines 
in that race in the rain. So you, you just do what you can. And luckily, I was able to use my skills. I love racing in the rain. Any any course, um, I, I wish it rained just because I love racing in the rain and, and kind of trying to push those limits. And I think that's what helped me uh, be able to stay in the race because if it was a dry crit, honestly, how my body was feeling, I don't know if I would have finished as well as I did. But what you did, which is really interesting, is Andrew Dwar from Cliff and Ty Magner got off the front in, you know, like they were 10 meters in front of you for two, three laps in a row and they drilled it. And Tom Gibbons from automatic put himself on the front and you were right behind him. And the four of you stayed in relatively that same order for the first five laps, at least of that race. There was no changing, like there was no rotation. There was no nothing. It was just the four of you guys right there at the front. And for those of us who were at home comfortably watching it from our couch while having ice cream, we got to see all the folks at the back in groups of 10, 15, and 20 getting shattered, all because of the intensity that you guys were delivering up front. And that is classic rain race situation where you know it's going to be dicey, you know it's going to be hard. Heck, you can do this in a technical crit like Lake Bluff. You did the exact same thing where you just put the pound, the power down right there at the very beginning and you threw everybody off the back who wasn't going to be around. And also you get the benefit of potentially catching somebody off guard, you know, like one of your main rivals. Going into the race, did you go, yep, this is going to happen? Yeah, going into the race, uh, that was kind of my game plan to start out as strong as I could. Any any little gap in a reigning crit could grow within seconds. Uh, just one corner, you could gain five seconds just because someone behind you might might hit the brakes a little bit too much, not might be confident enough to jump out of the saddle and kind of go into the next corner. I, I use that to add, add my advantage as well as Gibbons and Ty and just kind of go as hard as you can in the first couple of laps to see what kind of damage you could do into the race. And hopefully one of your main competitors would get stuck in the back or uh, stuck behind one of the the riders who doesn't do so well in the race. And yeah, just kind of use that to our advantage and just knowledge of racing over the years as the harder you can go in the beginning, the easier it's going to be at the end. And, you know, the end was tough too. Because there were, you know, there was a moment in time when it started to dry up and then it got hard all over again right there at the end when it started to rain and people split again off the back. And, you know, we talk about how well Legion did at Salt Lake, you know, finishing one, two, three, four, five, I think it was, you know, they did one, two, three again at Littleton and it's an end result of them being aggressive and smart with the power that they've got, you know, you were right there at the end in Littleton too. What was that like? Myself and talking to some of the other riders, that was probably the last hardest last two laps of any race this year. They, they timed that so well. Um, they sat at the front, the right tempo that they needed to sit until those last two laps and just threw the hammer down. It was, so hard just to sit on the wheel even ty and some of the other guys were saying like man that was hard <laughs> they 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 threw everything out there and they did it well 
So I was able to find the race is from Intelligentsia slash Super Week. So we got to go back to 2009. Okay. You and I are both cat threes. Ah. We raced together four times. All right. How do you think we finished against each other? Like, what do you think would have been the spread of the 2009 version of Rob Kelly versus the 2009 version of Brandon Fury? I'm I'm saying you got me two out of the three. It was four races. Oh, sorry. Three out of the four. Oh, two and two. Two and two. Okay. Two races you won, two races I won. Because I can remember the first, I remember now the first race, it was on the south side of Chicago and uh, there were like 19 guys from Triple X Racing in that field. And I got into a split three laps into what I think was a 90 minute crit and it was hot and miserable. And there were seven guys up the road with me and six of them were from like triple X racing and they took me off the back. Oh really? And they made me suffer. Yeah. Yeah, I ended up like 44th that day. So I remember that really distinctly. And then apparently I out sprinted you because I finished sixth one day and that I remember was the Richton Park crit down by uh, the paint factory where the Tuesday night crit is on the south side, and that was a total field sprint race. Yeah, I, I remember that. Just uh, so my dad used to put on the Tuesday night crits at the paint factory. That was probably that was where I learned to race. Being able to race against um, Adam Meyerson used to show up to the paint factory like just random strong guys who it's like what are you doing here and they're like oh we're just traveling in between races this is a great great series to come out and show some of your skills and polish your skills for the next race so it was so fun to to be able to race against some of those guys like adam myerson at the paint factory and as a junior growing up and learn some skills from them and some of the other great local riders and yeah we had some fun around the paint factory apparently Some really good guys came out of that race. So thanks to your dad for putting that on. Well, Monk, thank you so much. We're going to follow up with you right after Indy and get you and Ethan on together. That's going to be epic. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on again. Uh, Love love chatting with you. and uh, Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com for the full bevy of shows and the full lineup of wonderful content that you can enjoy about the wonderful sport of bike racing. Today's show was written and produced by me, Rob Kelly. We will be off next week because we're going to an every other week schedule. So come back here in two weeks time for more stories from our Criterium Nation.